This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast is being brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com. News Talk 850 WFTL presents Joyce Kaufman, No Restraint. Here's Joyce Kaufman. Welcome to today's No Restraint Podcast. You know, I have become addicted to alternative sources for information, not just news, but pieces that look at society, that look at our crumbling culture, and speak about it from personal perspectives, and also doing the research that's really necessary to get a full picture of what's going on in our country. Now, if you love this country, and I certainly do, then you want it to be as great as possible. Dare I say it? Make America great again. But one thing I know for sure is that the future, we always say this, rests in the hands of younger generations. You know, an inheritance is what I give them. A legacy is what I pour into them. And I'm grateful that Barry Weiss and the Free Press crew has started to showcase some of these incredible young potential journalists who want to talk about hard things and want to talk about them in a way that might make some of us kind of uncomfortable. But it is definitely interesting and even exciting to read what's going on in the world of 15, 16, 17-year-olds, as well as young adults. So there was a contest that went on, and they were, well, they picked three people, two runners-up and a winner who wrote articles that were really relevant about what was going on in their world. And I was stunned by the subject matter, and yet they were compelling pieces, and I want to share them with you because I think it's important for us to face the facts that we have a younger generation that seems to be clueless as to what's right and what's wrong. And therefore, it's always going to be easier to fool such people. Thank goodness, Isabella and Caleb, the two writers that I'm looking at today, don't worry about what everybody thinks and say what they feel needs to be said. And so I'm going to share with you what exactly they feel needs to be said. 15-year-old Caleb Silverberg said he made the most important decision of his life when he ditched technology and headed to the forest. He was 15 years old, and during the pandemic, he said, he became a slave to screens. He had online classes, and then he scrolled Instagram or played Fortnite for hours, ignoring even hunger pangs while he was immersed in a world of pixels. He said Saturdays were pretty grim. He'd wake up and drag himself to the couch where his Xbox had been waiting for him all night long. The closed shades blocked the sun that was starting to come up in the sky, 
and any hope he had of enjoying it, of swimming in the ocean or biking in the mountains or hiking with his dogs, went right down the drain. He said, at 15 years old, I looked in the mirror and I saw a shell of myself. My face was pale, my eyes were hollow, I needed a radical change. He said he remembered one of his older sister's friends describing a unique high school called Midland, which was an experiential boarding school that was located in the Los Padres National Forest. He said the school was founded back in 1932 under the belief of needs, not wants. He said in the forest, cell phones and video games are strictly forbidden, and they're replaced with a job to keep the place running. You know, things like washing dishes, cleaning bathrooms, or sanitizing the mess hall. Students depended on one another. Does this sound familiar for those of us growing up in the 50s and 60s? Weren't these the things that our parents were teaching us right at home? He said once he heard of this technology-free oasis, he immediately applied to attend high school there. He said a few months later, on the morning of April 12th, 2021, he said, I got the best news of my life. At 7.30 a.m., an email popped into his inbox with the subject line, Welcome to Midland. He screamed, Mom, I got in. And she ran over, still in her bathrobe, to congratulate him. September 2nd, 2021, was his first day at Midland when he traded in his smartphone for an axe. Because see, at Midland, students have to chop firewood to generate hot water for their showers and heat for their cabins and their classrooms. If nobody chops the wood and nobody makes the fire, then you get a cold shower, a freezing cold bed, or a chilly classroom. No punishment by a teacher or adult, just the disappointment of your peers, your friends. So armed with his ax, he found himself liberated from the constant allure of technology. And he learned the joys of engaging in face-to-face -face conversations and savoring moments without the urge to post about them on social media. He was living off the land on a self-sustaining farm operated by the Midland students and faculty. He said, in the spring, I regularly ventured to the garden to devour handfuls of fresh strawberries. You know, these are kids who had never seen a strawberry except in a little green box that came out of a supermarket produce stand. He said, at dinners, I savored butchered beef that had just come from the Midland grass-fed cows. I began to lift weights to regain all of the pounds I had lost while gaming and neglecting my hunger. Living in nature without Instagram or Fortnite or TikTok, he said, gave him an opportunity to reconnect with the world and to rediscover the value of genuine human connection. Screen addictions like his are a ubiquitous problem today. Excessive screen time is associated with ADHD, myopia, which is nearsightedness, and depression. Since the release of smartphones in 2005, the rate of Americans reporting symptoms of major depression increased by 52%. And Caleb said he witnessed that firsthand in his peer group. Many teens find it difficult to socialize with their peers in person, 
and instead they rely on these virtual interactions via Instagram or Snapchat. At many traditional high schools, no one stops to say hello in the hallways. Instead, the halls are filled with the tinny sound of AirPods blasting rap songs beneath the silence. Before he went to Midland, whenever he sat on the couch, maybe engrossed in TikTok or Instagram or Reels, his parents would say to him, Caleb, your brain is going to melt if you keep staring at that screen. But he dismissed their concerns at first. Eventually, experiencing life without an electronic device glued to his hand proved that his parents were right all along. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. He's now going into his junior year at Midland. Whenever he is home, he finds himself on his phone far less, and then only to catch up on his favorite TV shows or talk to the numerous lifelong friends I've made at school. He said Midland helped him change how he lives his life. He's no longer dependent on a smartphone. He was privileged to attend Midland. But anybody can benefit from these lessons. So to his generation, he said he'd like to offer a 5,000-year-old solution to our 21st century dilemma. Shabbat is the weekly Sabbath in Judaic custom where individuals take 24 hours to rest and relax. This weekly reset allows their bodies and minds to recharge. He envisions three potential levels of a technology Shabbat. The first is an immersed Midland-like experience, living without a cell phone. The second is similar to the traditional weekly Sabbath, taking one full day a week to turn off your phone. The third is putting the phone away, while in educational settings like classrooms. He said he went from obsessing over a smartphone to swinging an axe, and he learned the power of liberation from a screen and he certainly hopes that others of his age can make that same journey from phone to fulfillment. He said all it takes is pulling the plug. I get that, and I try to explain that to my own grandchild, but it's a very difficult concept for those that grew up on these screens to understand. The other runner-up was a gal, a 16-year-old named Isabella Hogven. She said... This is a really concerning article to me because I think in our mind, we don't picture the people who are doing this kind of behavior as young teenage girls. 
She said she was 10 years old when she watched pornography for the first time. She said she found herself on Pornhub, which she stumbled across by accident, and then returned to it out of curiosity. She said the website has no age verification, no ID requirement, not even a prompt asking me if I was over 18. The site is easy to find. It's impossible to avoid, actually, and has become a frequent rite of passage for kids her age. So where was her mother? Well, she was in the next room, making sure that Isabel was eating nine differently colored fruits and vegetables every day. She was attentive, nearly a helicopter parent, but Isabel found online porn anyway, and so did her friends. Today, at 16, she and her peers are suffering from an addiction to what many call the new drug. Porn is the disastrous replacement for intimacy among sexless, anxiety-ridden teenagers. First, get on the same page about what porn really is today. When you talk to adults, she said, you get the strong sense they picture a hot bombshell in lingerie or or a half-naked model on a beach. This is not what she stumbled upon back in the fourth grade. She saw simulated incest, bestiality, extreme bondage, sex with unconscious women, gangbangs, sadomasochism, and unthinkable physical violence. The porn children view today makes Playboy look like an American Girl doll catalog. She's told that in the less explicit 20th century, Porn stars actually looked human. Today, they're fake. The boobs, the butts, the pleasure. Even the erections are artificial. The LA Times reported as far back as 2001 that Tice Boone, a former LA porn actor, brought a vial of Viagra to work every day. But the pre-adolescent and adolescent brain doesn't know it's all fake. That's why they believe World Wrestling Federation stuff. It believes wholeheartedly what it sees. And Isabel said she certainly did. These fake sexual images heightened to an artificially attractive form are what a Dutch biologist, Nicholas Tingebergen, called a supernormal stimulus. In an experiment, Tingebergen created fake female butterflies out of cardboard enhancing their bright colors, and found that the males preferred the supernormal decoys over the real females flapping right in front of them. This represents what happens when we're bombarded with fake stimuli. Our brains form new pathways and connections, a process called neuroplasticity, and at some point, after repeated exposure to a supernormal stimulus, You prefer the cardboard butterflies and the fake boobs over the real thing. This process is especially detrimental to the still-growing, sex-obsessed adolescent brain. Artificial stimuli can saturate and warp a young mind before it encounters a real-life sexual experience. Many sex-positive pornographers claim they can prevent this by mitigating artifice in their videos. One such personality is porn actress Stoya, who told the New York Times she believes porn can be a good thing, although Stoya admits she's troubled about her work's influence on young people, 
It apparently keeps her awake at night. Her answer is to make her pornography more realistic, more female-centered, and more contextual. For example, Stoya lauds a practice in some BDSM porn, that's bondage, domination, discipline, sadism, and masochism, that encourages aftercare, which is essentially two partners checking in after brutalizing each other in bed. How sweet. There is no porn that's okay for children and teens, not even feminist porn. And here's why. A recent Cambridge University study shows that porn's effects on the brain are neurochemically identical to drug addiction. It's as much a dangerous substance as fentanyl. When someone consumes an addictive drug, a hit of dopamine, the pleasure hormone, releases into the bloodstream. The brain loves dopamine and wants to repeat the feeling, leading to cravings and eventually addiction. This gratification hypothesis, according to the University of Duisburg Essen study, is why cybersex addiction occurs. But some, including Nadine Strassen, the former national president of the ACLU, argue that minors' access to porn content is a free speech issue, noting young people have a constitutional right to information about sexual health. They're wrong. Porn is not about sexual health, nor is it content. It's a substance. If a child ordered three shots of vodka at a bar, the bartender would object. If a child asked for cigarettes at a gas station, the attendant would laugh. But with a quick Google search, a child has access to millions of hours of a dangerous substance. With the same Google search, children consume dangerous lies about sexual pleasure. A recent BBC study of 2,000 British men ages 18 to 39 found that 71% have gagged, slapped, choked, or spat on their partner during sex. A third said they don't think to ask for permission before committing these acts. An Indiana University study shows that the earlier a girl is exposed to porn, the more she will accept behaviors like choking, facial ejaculation, and aggressive fellatio from a sexual partner. Meanwhile, models and female entrepreneurs, women who little girls look up to, are flocking to only fans to sell naked photos of themselves. In short, most teenagers think this stuff is normal. The solution is not good porn, as Stoya claims. America needs a sexual renaissance, a massive, full-scale social change of heart and mind when it comes to porn, sex, and addiction. Fight the New Drug is one non-religious nonprofit providing meaningful truth about this problem. Even better, legislators are finally starting to step up. Louisiana State Representative Lori Schlegel was one of the first lawmakers to break ground on this issue. Her bill imposed age verification requirements on sites like Pornhub, and as a result, traffic to that site is down by 80% in her state. Other states are now following suit, with similar protective bills gaining bipartisan support in Arkansas, 
Montana, Mississippi, Utah, Virginia, and Texas. These age verification bills are progress, and they must be replicated across America. Parents can't do this alone. Kids today are as savvy about online porn as they've been for years about nicotine and alcohol. They know how to get around web blockers and site filtration. Isabel said she did, and so did her friends, even though their moms did everything they could to protect them. You know, the fact that most of her presumably female friends find pornography normal is perhaps the most striking part about this article. I'd expect teenage boys to fall into the trap because males are visual creatures with higher sociosexuality. But when I was growing up, girls still found the objectification and emotionless sex of pornography gross and the guys who were watching it pathetic. If we've lost even the next generation of women to this, then I fear there is little hope. Women pressuring men to get their acts together has always been one of the strongest forces of the species' history, and they need it again. But I have never accidentally stumbled into a porn site. Teenage girls today are a species I have difficulty relating to. On the one hand, they can be fierce little emblems of radical feminism with Me Too their password and rallying cry, and on the other, they disfigure themselves with bizarre body art metal pierced through unimaginable body parts, and clothes that look like they came through a shredder. Maybe pornography is just another extension of this self-loathing that reduces some young women and girls to a caricature. Having said all that, there are still legions of girls who don't fit that self-destructive profile. Girls who are dedicated students and athletes, girls with enough self-respect, to reject this ludicrous notion of males in intimate spaces in the name of inclusiveness, girls who still value kindness and family and faith in God. And I certainly hope that the author of the article, Isabel, can find herself ultimately in that latter category. The other story that came off of the free press that I thought was really interesting was about this group of boys who surf subways. Now, this is not a new behavior. I grew up in New York, and subway surfing had been done back in the 50s and 60s. I saw it. I know what it means. But in early August of this year, a riot broke out in New York City's Union Square. Thousands of kids, mostly from the outer boroughs, threw smoke bombs, they lit fireworks, and they broke windows, and they stamped on, stomped on cars, and they climbed street poles. They were in full break crap mode. When I saw it happening on my iPhone, their age struck me. Pubescent, with smooth faces, maybe a splash of acne, riding the massive testosterone high that is adolescence through the humid late summer doldrums. The powder keg of a hot New York City is rife with this sort of stuff. Young people hungry to fight, make some noise, prove their courage, or whatever. It's just a question of who or what is going to set it off. In this case, it was Kai Carlos Sanat, the 21-year-old Twitch streamer slash YouTuber pledging to give away PlayStation 5s to anyone who showed up at the square. 
By 3 p.m., an hour before the giveaway was scheduled to start, it was teeming with loud, sweaty, excitable kids, and soon the chaos gave way to pockets of violence, shoving and fighting and overturning police barricades, destroying other people's property, disorder engulfing order. Sanat was ultimately charged with inciting a riot, and police arrested 65 people, 30 of whom were under 18. The respectable classes, you know, the people mostly white who have money and live uptown or in the suburbs, tut-tutted about the whole thing on X, formerly Twitter, or Instagram, or whatever respectable people tut-tut about things on. They objected to the broken glass, the umbrellas of the hot dog stands that have been smashed or pummeled, you know, the mess. That's reasonable enough, but it's not the real issue. The real issue is harder to make out and more insidious. It's the breakdown of tribe and community, which has been happening in slow motion for several decades as the old social fabric has steadily eroded. But maybe we can see the value in these young men to stop regarding them as expendable and meet them where they live. The young men of Union Square have a lot in common with the young men who ride the rooftops of the subway cars that bisect Queens neighborhoods. If you live in Sunnyside, it's a sleepy little warren filled with families and strollers and immigrants from Ireland and Mexico and Turkey and pretty much everywhere else. By New York standards, that, there's not a lot of crime there. The number seven train runs through the center of the neighborhood on an elevated platform. And in the late afternoon and early evening, when the sun ducks behind the skyscrapers in Manhattan to the east and the whole neighborhood is painted a golden reddish hue, that's when the platform becomes a field on which boys like to prove their mettle. As the subway passes above ground, they clamber up the doors between the cars onto the top of the train. They take in the view, walk up and down the stainless steel rooftops, take a selfie, get some video they can post to their social media feeds, and they're usually between 13 and 16, and they're almost always black and Latino. Sometimes they die. I imagine the wind whistling past them, their legs shaking, a tunnel approaching, as the ceiling of the tunnel inches away races past the tips of their noses. Kids have been doing stupid things like this forever, but the numbers are going up. Between 2021 and 2022, the number of subway surfers jumped 366%. In June, two 14-year-old boys collided with the entrance of a tunnel as the train they were surfing dipped underground. One of them, Brian Crespo, died. The other, Widdinson Garcia, may never walk again. One of the boys was hit so hard, his shoes were knocked off. A month later, 14-year-old Javon Frazier died while riding the number seven train that goes past these Sunnyside apartments. He apparently fell off the roof. The subway surfers, like the rioters who broke car windows and made a mess of Union Square, are largely drawn from the same cohort of directionless and bored young men. They are scared, uninformed, and often without male role models, and they are constantly prodded into doing thinking, and saying idiotic things by the mobs of other young men. Everyone egging everyone else on. No one old enough or wise enough to state the obvious. This is not how you become a man. Once upon a time, these boys would have been absorbed by other things, 
a boxing gym, a basketball court, a church, a job, a classroom, their apartments overflowing with siblings and cousins and friends, their mother in a cramped kitchen making dinner. Young men in search of themselves had a degree of freedom to try out different groups or tribes or personalities within the relatively safe confines of their community. It was hardly free of violence or danger, but there was a way things were done. They were guardrails in place. Those who don't grow up like these young men have no idea what it's like to live in a world stripped of its guardrails. Their lives are structured, organized. There are guardrails everywhere, rules and regulations meant to protect their children from the vagaries of city life or just life. And they send their kids to climbing gyms or Muay Thai classes, or maybe they kayak the Colorado River. Let's be clear. Wealthy young men have the same need to demonstrate their manliness, but the society from which they come insists they do so in a way that is relatively safe and edifying and even marketable. These are the issues confronting America today. McCaffrey Blauner is a writer that wrote that piece. Turn somebody else on to this No Restraint podcast, and I'll see you back here next week. God bless you, and God bless the United States of America. The Joyce Kaufman Podcast has been brought to you by Code Red Roofers, South Florida's leading residential and commercial roof experts. Code Red Roofers, roofers that respond. Call 844-4-CODE-RED or visit coderedroofers.com.